Here we are. We are back. And uh, uh, we didn't finish last time, uh, so we have to kind of finish the last time that we were doing it, right? So you remember what we talked about and where we went and all that good stuff? That's a good a good answer, Ben. How about somebody refresh us and give us a little review for a second? Anyone have one? Sex outside of marriage is bad. You know what? That is kind of the basis of uh, what we were talking about in some given way that there's a, we're trying to learn why it's not a good idea. Um, mainly one of the things that we're being asked was what are some questions that, that culture might ask us to consider before we take a step like that? And uh, we look through these ideas of morality, of caution, right? And the morality of caution concerning uh, me, the morality of caution concerning others, the questions we should ask of that, and the morality of caution concerning um, uh, us, you know, the relationship itself. And those are good questions and things uh, that are okay to consider, but there are flaws within that, correct? The flaws within that is it assumes that there's a perfect person that exists that can actually think in those kinds of ways with the six questions that we were, that we were looking at and, and uh, talking about. Uh, but in addition to that, it also assumes kind of a, a self-driven uh, motivation, which isn't always the case, and uh, different people can look at it in other ways. So we're, we are now at the place of understanding what is healthy sexually. We kind of talked about all those different things. We just know. So what is really healthy sexually. Um, the first thing is we need to throw off sexual idealism. Period. Throw off sexual idealism. Many young women today are having second thoughts about the feminist sexual idealism. Which is the idea that a woman is, you know, should, should uh, powerfully take control and she should be able to uh, show her uh, ability to uh, dominate in the sense that she has a tr- she can go out there and she can be her own woman and do her own thing and she doesn't get hurt by it. That's that's sexual idealism, which is a, a big lie. Today's young women aren't learning the social graces, but changing fundamental attitudes about sex. It used to be it's all about you know the way you carried yourself and etiquette and all this other kind of stuff, you know and. Uh, ladies would take etiquette classes, and there was just a certain way to be, and that's what the the man was looking for. But you know, now it's like you know, girl go after guy, like guy is a you know the animal that he was. Now the girl's becoming that animal, which is really not so good. We don't want that. It's uh, it turns it on its head, and it's not the way that it was intended. Now, man was never intended to be the animal that he has become, <laughs> either. Uh, men. Uh, but we, we, can, we can tame men if we are truly the women that God calls us to be, those of us that are women in this room. So uh, there's a magazine article called Casual Sex, Why Confident Women Are Saying No, and we're seeing that this is a, new th- this is a newer thing that's beginning to come up, is that uh, it explains the role played by this, this, this hormone called oxytocin. Oxytocin. It's a female hormone that's produced during sex and childbirth. I mentioned it briefly in a, a Q&A, I think, at one point, or during a, a, the lecture a few weeks ago, briefly. But it's very, very fascinating, this, this hormone. Uh, oxytocin, it's released uh, only during nursing and uh, during sexual activity. And it's interesting to note that 
The reason why it's there is it was God intended because, as we know, sex leads towards life, bringing life into the world and the growing of nurture of a family. And all of this ties together. But, of course, we can see negative things come in it. And the book Unprotective talks about that. Unprotected, um, uh, it's a recent book that uh, I've read called Unprotected. It is by a campus psychiatrist, and it is very eye-opening. If you want to read it, uh, I would highly recommend high, highly recommend the read. It goes into lots of different things that aren't being discussed on college campuses and how the psychiatrists are being encouraged to go with what is politically correct and not truly deal with the problems that are coming in with the girls or, they're, they're, or the guys. They're told to put a little patch on things and, and just kind of band-aid it, but not really get to the heart of the issue, which in reality comes down to morals and different things that they're told not to talk about. Oxytocin is one of those things that is uh, actually scientifically proven, but yet still it's not, it's not something you hear much about. Anybody here actually not heard of oxytocin? You've heard of it, okay. Not heard of it, Kristen? Okay, so I understand. You know, so we realize that, uh, that uh, there's some of these things that people don't, you know, talk about. So oxytocin. Uh, predominantly, it's in women, uh, uh, and uh, it is all—it is only in women. And the thing that creates the problem that was uh, discussed in Unprotected is that they end up with a crisis. A woman ends up with a crisis after premarital sexual encounter. Why? Why does she end up with a crisis? Someone other than Parker in this uh, this time, because he apparently already knows. <laughs> okay, so they end up with a crisis. Because there is a, a bonding that occurs because the oxytocin is released during a sexual encounter between a, between a, a girl and the, and the man that she's with. And then all of a sudden in that bonding, there is a, a broken heart that occurs when that man break, you know, leaves her or says, we're not going to be together anymore. And this is a deep, deep wound. Because she has bonded, she has connected in a way through, through her hormones that we could never truly understand because we're not a woman, men in this room. And so one of the things that uh, the psychiatrist who writes the book Unprotected shares is how most of the problems that she runs into are girls coming in very disillusioned after a sexual encounter and being dumped by a guy thinking that it was supposed to be more there and is really overwhelmed and um, doesn't know what to do. As I said, sex creates babies, and babies need an environment safe and stable to grow in, and this oxytocin, this hormone, begins to build that stable environment within the female. It's a gift from God to enrich and strengthen the family environment. It's a fascinating thing, but used in a way it was not intended creates deep hurts and emotional pains. It also creates unhealthy bonds with uncaring and manipulative men who are using women. You know, that whole thing about guys who, you know, the girl says, I just can't leave him. You know, and everything says, why, what, what don't you, why, what are you with this guy? What, what is it about him that draws you in any given way? Because all the qualities I hear are terrible. The problem is that there's this side of a, a, of a woman in this particular side that it seems to be irrational, but truly the hormones are driving them and it's hard for them to fight and deal with it. 
It's, it's very unfair for men to manipulate women in that way. So B, we also need to recognize that sex is a sacrament or a sacrament, however you want to pr pronounce it. You say potato, I say potato. Uh, sac sacrament, okay? This is a physical act that signifies much more than the act itself. That's what a sacrament is. You understand sacraments, right? There's the sacrament of baptism, holy communion. If you're in the Catholic Church, there's some others that I don't remember all of uh, that are there. Uh, marriage is considered a sacrament in the Catholic Church, actually, which is a cool thing, though, um, that, that we could uh, definitely uh, learn from. But there are all these sacraments, and what they are is they are physical expressions of a deeper reality and they signify a lot. So it signifies a human desire to seek for bonded community. That's what a sacrament does. And we realize that it's not good that man be alone. So marriage in itself can be seen as a sacrament, right? It expresses that spiritual longing for connectedness in the world. Marriage and family is the ultimate expression of bonded community that our sexuality urges us towards. And the sacrament of sex shows us a picture of hunger for unity unbreakable. This is what we truly desire for, unity unbreakable. Total, infinite in time, not a unity that ends. Divorce is not in the picture in our mind spiritually. It's not the desire of our heart or our spirit. It's personal, which is a part of community, and it's safe. And key, and a big key there is safe. Remember what I said? One of the big questions that we ask when it comes to should I enter into this, this encounter with this person is will it be safe? This sexual encounter, will it be safe? It's not about two consenting adults. Well, we're mature and we're consenting on this and we both agree we're going to be okay. It's deeper than that. It's, uh, it's, it's much deeper than that. It's not the question, will anybody get hurt? Because do you even know what you're talking about when you say that in advance? And it's after the fact that you feel the pain, right? You know, it's always funny. My wife, she asked me, uh, I, I want to tell her something. I say, are you, are you going to get mad if I tell you this? I promise. I won't get mad. And then I tell her, and she gets mad. Okay, so this goes to show, you know, that there are just some things that we can say one thing and it doesn't happen as they say it's supposed to happen, right? <laughs> So the sacrament of sex does not say sex deepens the relationship. This is something important. In marriage, sex does not deepen the relationship. That's not, not, that is not its, its intention. It is a part of the relationship. It is a beautiful part of the relationship. But it isn't made to deepen the relationship. That is a misnomer. Scripture maintains, and I'll talk about that even deeper as we get into the next uh, topic. Scripture maintains that even if these five questions that, that I was talking about uh, earlier are considered, it's still wrong for all but married people to enter into sexual relationship. We'll get into that deeper as well. Because the, the, the bottom line is it violates the inner reality of the act. Again, remember how I said the society talks about the outer reality, the outside, but they, they don't really look at the inside and the inner reality? The, the Lord's concerned about the inner reality and realizes that's where the most that's where the greatest pain is inflicted on a person. Um, and so it violates the inner reality of the act if you were to engage in sexual intercourse before you are married. If the sexual act is to become one flesh as it is intended, as we read in Genesis at the very beginning, 
that to create a bonded person into one unity, and we talked about that, then we violate that inner reality if we do it any other way. When we engage in a life-uniting act without the life-uniting intent. Because that's what, that's what sexual intercourse is. It's a life-uniting act. That's the purpose of it. And if you're not intending to have a life-uniting intent, then therefore you shouldn't uh, move forward in that um, decision that you're considering. And the bottom line is it violates the very nature of sex as it was intended and made in its safest way and healthiest form. We ultimately become hypocrites towards the good God intended when outside the realm of marriage. There was good that God intended, but the good cannot be intended if we're outside the realm of marriage. It only opens up doors for damaging uh, relational connection and leads later into damage, damage within the marriage itself. And we talk about that too. Marriage does not make sex wonderful. All of a sudden, because you're married, sex does not become wonderful. Okay? Get some of these Hollywood things out of our minds. But it is an impossibility to have undistorted sex outside of marriage. It is an impossibility to have undistorted sex outside of marriage. So no matter what you say, no matter how you see it, if you say, hey, but you know, nobody would agree and so we you know, had to go off, si go off to the side and we spent some time with the Lord and we prayed and we got united in the Spirit together and we sort of had our own special marriage. It's still not the same thing. There's an intent in marriage. There was a way that God intended marriage to be. It is public. It is done in front of witnesses. And it is consummated in this way. And the, there's these goofy little things we try to get into. And we say, but you, you know, just don't understand the bond we have. I'm sorry. That's not the way it is. Yes, Parker. What about the loafers? The people that do it, they still get in front of priests and there is a witness, but it's not exactly public. Well... That's a good question. Is it is it public or is it not public if you go in front of a justice of the peace? If you go in front of, well, like, the, the, uh, when, I, when uh, my grandparents looked in front of one person, the actual priest, it's public to the priest, but no one else knew for a number of years that they were married. That, is that still public? I would say the public side of it is the fact that there was a priest involved okay. and it wasn't just us two and God having our own little secret ceremony. Uh, which is what I'm really referring to there. It's legal after that. That's the point as well that I have actually, I have a document that says I have entered into something and there is a cost to this thing that I've entered into, which is very important, which is part of the covenant itself. Uh, obviously, we understand that consummation occurs in the moment of sexual intercourse. And of course, we'll, I think we'll talk about that a little bit more as well. But I don't encourage the eloping, but some parents actually encourage it. <laughs> You know, so if mom and dad says, go do that, you know, that's your thing, you know. But uh, I, I, it's not something you should do because there's some uh, discordant uh, situation occurring and you're just trying to get around that. Mm -hmm. you, should, you should really try to put that before community and let that community come behind you to really do it in a way that's more pleasing to everybody. Because, again, everything that we do is affecting the community as well. And so we need to recognize that. Um, so... As I was saying, marriage doesn't make sex wonderful, but it's an impossibility to have undistorted sex outside of the realm of marriage itself. There is such a thing as liberated sexuality, but it's different than culture suggests. When you think of liberated sexuality, what are some of the things you think about? According to culture. Swingers. What? Swingers. Swingers. <laughs> uh, elaborate on that, Chachi. 
Yeah, trading spouses. Oh, we're free to, you know, just kind of uh, be, 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 be happy with where we are and in our way. And, and we don't feel there's anything wrong with this. That's kind of disgusting and sick. And that would be, in some minds, people would say a liberated thing. What, uh, you know, uh, uh, when, we under, when we look at uh, some of the feminist perspective on the ideal of it, a liberated uh, woman would be an experienced woman. Experience. I'm experienced. I understand. I'm, I'm, uh, I, I can teach you and show you the ways of the world. This is the idea of liberated in culture. This is not liberated when it comes to the way that God intends it to be liberated. Research tells us that people who most enjoy sex in marriage are the people who did not have it outside. That is the, the research. That's what the research tells us. You can look at all kinds of research by, by the secular as well as, as, well as the, the uh, Christian um, or religious um, side of things, and you'll find it being exactly the same across the boards. So we're going to move now into the new topic, the new topic for today, which is uh, how far is too far? How far is too far? A question often asked by every person in this culture that is Christian, that is. <laughs> uh, and even, believe it or not, even amongst the, those who would not uh, seek the Lord, they still have a sense of that within themselves, uh, a, desire, a wondering of what is too far. When am I violating this person's uh, decency of what they feel is comfortable to them? Now, of course, we know that manipulation plays into that and changes it when it's not within a Christian framework and even within a Christian framework. But if we look at the scriptures, there is no manipulation that's possible. And so that's what we want to look at is how far is too far. I know what we'd like to do is we'd like to look for a proof text. Where's that proof text that tells me how far is too far? And the truth is there is no proof text, you know? There isn't a first hesitations, you know, that says uh, don't, uh, you know, please don't go this far because that's too much. Uh, it's not that simple. It's, it's, it's the way that God works. He likes to put us into a place where he gives us the tools and everything that's in front of us. And he says, now you take all these pieces and put them together like you know they should be done. And don't try to find a little loophole in the plan, you see. And that's the way that God works, and I think we'll see that as we look through there. It's just not there. There isn't a proof text, and there's two reasons why there's not a proof text. Not because God doesn't have different prohibitions written in Scripture to give us uh, hope and direction in this area, but there's two reasons. One of them I find fascinating, that the culture at that time never asked the question. It wasn't a question in their mind. That, that never was an issue because they knew exactly how it was established. We, as, we, as we see in Genesis, we know how it's established, the understanding of what is done and what is not uh, uh, appropriate at that given time. In fact, this question is very modern. It is a question for today. It is for the modern person that asks this question. It's a modern dating cultural question is what it is. In fact... Not even as far as close as a hundred years ago was this question even being asked. In decent circles, circles of propriety, the, the circles of those who were in society that were, you know, looked to be the examples for others. Um, we understand that there's always been deviations, there's always been, you know, the unhealthy. But when we talk about 
the majority of society, the, de the decent society, this is not something that was thought about or talked about. Uh, no idea of dating in that time. There was no idea of dating. There was highly regulated ways that men and women conducted themselves. They had things called courtships. That's what they did. The young were chaperoned. That means their parents were with them. Or they had a nanny or somebody that was respectful enough to keep an eye on them. They were chaperoned. They were matched. As, as these chaperones saw them with others, they were matched. And then they were courted. That's the way that it went. They were chaperoned, matched, courted, which might as well have been betrothed. <laughs> which is kind of what a courtship was. Okay, we're going to be betrothed. There is a certain period of time which we'll be able to get to know each other. In fact, a lot of this still happens in other countries, many other cultures. And believe it or not, it works. Not want to get into a big argument there. We can go there if you want to, but it actually works. You think about it. We could all come together and we could say, okay, we are the Christian community. We're supposed to be the embodiment and example of love to the world. So if we are to love one another, then that means that no matter who is put in our path, then we can learn to love them as Christ loves us, right? And so I could just match you guys and say, okay, you're the ones, and you're going to learn to love one another because that's what you're called to do and make this work. That's exactly how it works in a lot of these other cultures. And like I said, it works. It's interesting. All this romanticized idea, ideals of love is not there, and somehow it still works. I think one of the fundamental reasons for that is because people actually work at the relationship. <laughs> and, you know, we don't think about that. We're just looking for magic. That's ridiculous. There's no such thing as, do you believe in magic? <laughs> you know, that whole thing. And so it's like, whatever, you know? <laughs> It's dumb. <laughs> so we're not we're not looking into magic here. We're looking into truth. I know that was a terrible, terrible version of trying to sing that song. <laughs> uh, it was it was okay. I, I got the jiggle right, right? <laughs> okay, so <laughs> so the other thing we have to understand is that sexual experimentation at that time would have been a real challenge. There wasn't that kind of easy way to go hide. I've already talked about how we've learned to be more secret more than ever in this day and age with the, the, the rise of the hidden uh, 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 places of Internet and hotels and all these different things that are available to us, you know. And even parents not keeping as close an eye on us anymore, right? Sexual experimentation is so much easier today than it was then. And that's another reason why that question exists. But it's really interesting that back in the day it was such a profoundly important thing in culture, and I talked about this briefly, that a person was a virgin before they were married. There, was, there were means by which they tested this. Not trying to get disgusting in this way, but the truth is, that is true. They had ways of, of saying, if this girl is pure, then she'll be good enough for my the, you know, this uh, young man in high society, because if she is not, then she is thrown away. You've seen English movies about this kind of stuff, haven't you? This is true. This isn't just Shakespeare. This is reality of that time. And so people actually 
understood that modesty was protected. It was so important. It was valuable. People who were not pure were seen as outcasts, thrown aside, maybe never to have the opportunity to truly marry into a, 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 pers- a, a family of worth in any given way, pretty much doomed to failure for the rest of their life. That's serious consequences that they had back then. I'm glad that they're not there now. I'm glad we have grace. But I think we can learn from that and say, wow, there's something valuable in this. Uh, 1950 is when the question of losing one virginity began to even be thought about or even uh, uh, considered. 1950s. Just again to let you know how far we've come. I think culture would make you think that this has always been, and the truth is it hasn't always been. It's something that's trying to be uh, brought in as a, a, a ruse to make you think this is just only natural in the way it's supposed to be. Um, just be animals. The modern question raises a number of important questions. The modern question of how far is too far. So when you say dating couple, this is the first kind of concept. What kind of dating? So that's your first point. What kind of dating are we talking about? This is usually a question that is romantically induced. Right? When you think dating, you're thinking romance in some given way in your mind. Uh, It's a romantic pursuit that involves desire for physical connection. We know this. That's what dating does. In fact, it's funny. You know, I see people that, that they go, okay, I'm trying to think of the next step. Now tell me, should I take the next step? What do you mean the next step? Well, should I start dating? Well, what are you doing now? I am, I'm, I'm a, what, what did someone tell me? I'm checking out or something like that. I don't know what the heck the words are. I mean, there's just different words that are there. That are, I, oh, we're talking. We're talking. Okay, you're talking. That's a good thing. I'm glad you're talking because you need to be talking in any given relationship. But there's this, this when you get to this next step, now it's dating. All of a sudden there comes an image in your mind, doesn't there? And it sucks, honestly, to tell you the truth <laughs> because the pressure is on then. Uh, used to be the word courtship. Man, I like that word, courtship. Some people say, ah, it's old-fashioned, that's ugly. You know, but think of that, courting, you know? Actually winning and wooing someone, isn't that what we're supposed to do? Are you laughing at my wooing word? (laughs) Winning and wooing a person, that's pretty awesome. Uh, So I wish we would get back to the question of courtship uh, because courtship wasn't physical. There was this idea of getting to know and growing and understanding and talking. <laughs> but there wasn't a physical suggestion or feeling or, or compulsion that was led into that word whenever we had that. Number two, what are your intentions about dating? So are we romantic in nature but casual about marriage? Is that what we're about? Because that's what a lot of the relationships are about, right? Romantic in nature, but casual about marriage. I know I'm not ready for any kind of commitment, but I'm just lonely, you might hear people say. I want you to know that's not the person that you want to be with. And if you're one of those people, you want to get past that part. Because just having someone in your life is not going to fill that particular sense of loneliness. Learn to be lonely 
first before you go to find a relationship with somebody. I love the fact that people will say, you know, I just really need to take a year and really learn how to get my relationship with the Lord right. Because I think the reason we're lonely is because we don't realize that we have God with us. We think that God is there for us to do for us what we want. So God, bring me somebody. But God's saying, no, just come and receive me more into your life and get to know me better so that you can be ready for when an when a awesome person comes into your, in a relationship with you and you want to get to know them and truly develop a great relationship that's healthy. <clears throat> a lot of people, they date because they're not ready for marriage. <clears throat> a lot of people date... Blah, 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 blah. A lot of people date not because they are ready for marriage, but because they are ready not to be lonely. <laughs> I knew I said that really wrong. So uh, did you understand? Let me say that again so I don't throw myself. A lot of people date not because they're ready for marriage, okay, but because they're ready not to be lonely. That's not why we do it. Um, we're not ready if that's the case. Any suggestion that moves us towards life bonding, which is what that does, being in any kind of dating relationship, will be confusing if all we're trying to do is make ourselves feel better because I don't want to be lonely. But I'm not really sure if this person's the one that I want. I want to pursue a relationship. I just don't want to be lonely. I want to be with somebody. Okay? There's also a thing called codependency that ties deeply into that kind of thing where a person cannot be alone and always has to be with somebody. It's a dangerous place to get. If you're not ready to marry, then you should not stir up the romantic mechanisms moving towards marriage. That's the bottom line. This moves towards all kinds of deep hurts because you, you're stirring things. You're in a process. Uh, women are more deeply hurt than men in this process, especially you know with this word we have called getting dumped. What a terrible terminology. Getting dumped. That's not how it started. Oh, I love you. I got dumped. Okay, well, there must not have been a lot of love in that because there's a lot of reverse wording going on. I think it was just words. And we need to be careful about the emotional manipulation of words. <clears throat> uh, romantic dating, and I'm saying romantic dating as its own statement, can lead to manipulation and flightiness. It tests your young development of self-control. Again, those preconceived ideas of what this dating thing is supposed to look like and what everybody else says it's supposed to look like. How we speak and how we act physically can create a key to manipulate towards sexual means. How we act physically can create and speak can create a key to manipulate towards sexual means. Manipulation is very often used without even knowing it's being used. Some people, they have sly tongues and they know what they're doing. Other people don't even know what they're doing. So let us think about this. To pursue romance without the maturity and the preparation and commitment to make the commitment of permanence, this is a long sentence, is at the worst hypocritical and least foolhardy. In other words, if I'm pursuing a certain direction and I am romantically directing this relationship and it is growing towards something, but I don't intend in any way to make a full commitment to this person, I'm a hypocrite because I am playing with someone's emotions and leading them down a direction in which I'm only going to eventually dump them. You know, now there's if there's anything going on in your mind about well, how do you then pursue any relationship at all? Because how do you know where it's going? 
This has to do with the level to which you get yourself close to somebody emotionally before you get to that place. What happens is we jump in from the get-go on emotions. We get deep into it. And then it's really, really hard to get out. And it hurts. But it doesn't have to if we start it in the right way. Past that romanticized ideology that we get. Um, this this uh, statement that I just made, uh, the pers- to, to pursue romance without the maturity and preparation and commitment to make the commitment of permanence is at worst hypocritical and least foolhardy is a Josh Harris type quote. So if you've ever read uh, Josh Harris um, and uh, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, you know, there's a very, it's pretty much you can read one chapter and you get it. (laughs) One of those kind of books. That's great. Uh, I don't I don't work against that, but I do highly recommend Wendy Shalott's book over that book any day, um, because it's much more deeper. It's much more deep and and uh, um, uh, gives us a real clear picture of a lot of the stuff that's going on behind the scenes we don't think about, rather than just make this decision. Um, that is uh, Josh Harris. I do recommend him as well. He he does talk about dating. I'm sure many of you probably have read his book. So, or books, that is. Um, they're all the same. <laughs> okay. So, uh, anyways, we need to be aware of various styles of dating relationships, okay? Uh, we need to establish boundaries of how we speak and how we act physically towards one another. Don't overstate your commitments, okay? Don't overstate your commitments. That is using powerful words you don't mean. Like the word love, for Pete's sake. How can you say, I love you? After one week, how can you say I love you even after three months? That is a powerful word. What does love mean? What do we really say with that? Now, what's happening is when a guy says to a girl, I love you, this girl feels that towards her and feels that he feels the level at which she is receiving. And the truth is he's just using words. And it may be the same on the girls' end because girls have gotten just as bad now. Honestly, (laughs) it's true. So don't overstate your commitments. Don't say things you really can't back up. You know, love is unselfishly choosing for the highest good of someone else. Can you truly unselfishly choose for the highest good of someone else at every given time at that point in your relationship? So... More serious and mature senior types may say, hey, okay, I get this whole thing about dating, so how far is too far for me? I mean, I get the understanding of it. Well, number three, am I well-educated on the nature, power, process, and purpose of sex? This is not about the biology of sex. I'm not saying, did you take a sex education class? Do you understand you know, all those different little things that you got told by your teacher? No, I'm talking about uh, a deeper thing than this. We have to understand that it was intended for pleasure. And there's a book called Intended for Pleasure. And you can learn some things in that book. Not now. Later. Not something you read at this time. But we can learn some things. Because even when you're married, there are things to learn. And it's not about technique. Okay, this is not what we're talking about. We're not talking about technique. 
We're talking about learning to connect even deeper, learning to love more freely in a way in which you're unselfishly seeking out and thinking about each other. The way that sex is thought about in, to, in today's society is not about thinking about me, you, it's others. It's about thinking about me and what I can get out of it and how I can make it better for me. That's not what it's, it's, it's intended for. So do we understand sex or have we been educated in lust? That's the, that's the thing we have to ask ourselves. Because if you understand sex, then you know that it's about a male and female response. It's intrinsically integrated into them. There's a sexual response from the male, from the female, and there's a, there's a uniting in it, and it, there's a partnership in it all. And it's about thinking about one another, and it's not about ourselves. And so I believe that really, truly, what we've been educated in a lot of ways is lust. And if you're thinking about each other, then there's going to be no guilt and there's going to be protection and there's going to be safety and there can't be protection and safety when it comes to hiding in the backseat of a car, wait until someone's going to knock on the door, whatever it be, things in your mind racing, going, I know I shouldn't be doing this kind of thing. How can you at all be thinking about each other in a case like that? Scripture and psychology tell us, tell us that sexual function is mind and body. It is a holistic thing, and we are not disembodied, person, disembodied persons. It's not just a physical thing. And I've said that so many times, I'm just going to keep saying it, because I want to make sure that we're, we're clear on that, that point. Uh, an article by a sex therapist, which that's just the weirdest profession in the world to have. Uh, um, I don't know what people do in that, but uh, anyways, or how people deal with that. But... Uh, Sex is 95% in the brain. Sex is 95% in the brain. Sexuality requires a great amount of discipline of the mind. Isn't that crazy? Well, I know how they research that. I mean, you know, anyways. (laughs) They they do all kinds of uh, electrodes and stuff, and, you know, people are actually experimenting uh, sexually. And uh, they're taking all kinds... It's serious. This is what happens. That's what a sex therapist does. Sorry. Just don't... Just don't plan to be a person that actually wants to, uh, you know, be the... Uh, uh, what is it called? The patient of the sex therapist. I mean, that's just that's just crazy. So don't go there. Let's just get our head out of there. Whoop! I don't believe believers get involved in this, okay? <laughs> this is more of a... More of a kind of culture, uh, what am I trying to say, secular thing. (laughs) But it's true. It's true. The studies, that's where it leads. So sexuality requires a great amount of discipline of the mind. Uh, They have tapes on it, guys. Honestly, tapes on studies and stuff. You just don't need them to get to them because it's just too much. Uh, And I haven't watched them. It takes discipline to be loving but not to be aroused. Okay? This is the thing. It's easy to be aroused. That's lust. Or that's the beginnings of intimacy. But how do you actually get to the place of being loving? That's what's important. And that involves a lot of discipline of the mind. Number four, do I understand the sexual continuum? I'm not talking about Star Trek. I'm not talking about the Borg. You will be assimilated into the sexual continuum. 
This is not what we're talking about. Okay? This is actually something that is a part of the process of sexual intimacy. We cannot avoid it. It is a continuum. And we probably already understand it, or if we don't, you're going to get an education. So we speak of having sex. You know? Bill Clinton said, I did not have sex with this woman. So we have these questions that come out with other people where they say, well, I didn't have sex. I've, I've talked to people before, and I said, so, you know, what's going on? Well, I'm having some troubles. Well, what is it? Well, we're doing this. And I was like, okay, so you're having sex. No, we're not. So obviously there's this question of what is sex, right? What is having sex? <clears throat> well, sexual continuum will get us to understand this a little bit better. There's a difference between the beginning and the end of sex. Sex begins and sex ends. Begins somewhere and it goes towards a direction. That's the continuum. Even in the Christian community and counseling, you hear the response, we've never actually had sex, but truly, have you? Have you begun that continuum? The continuum, there's a continuum that prepares the body naturally for sexual intercourse. We have to be honest about that fact, okay? We may say that we can stop short of intercourse, but our bodies, our mind, and our emotions have not stopped anticipating it. That's worth repeating. We may stop short of intercourse, but our bodies, minds, and emotions have not stopped anticipating it. That's the continuum. Foreplay is what I'm talking about. Foreplay is a lot of things. Foreplay begins somewhere and leads eventually to places you thought you'd never go. It leads down the road. But the cycle begins, and the cycle wants to end. Our appetites get awakened when we go down the sexual continuum. So what we need to ask ourselves is letter B, are we playing a hoax on the other person and on ourselves when we play this game of, I haven't really had sex, but... You know, we did this and we did that. There's a process that prepares the body for physical, sexual intimacy. I can get in a lot of detail, but, you know, virgin minds here. I don't want to get too intense, but the truth is your body has different things that it is doing to prepare itself. And different things you do prepare your body for that. And your body is, is moving towards an end in that. When we play, when we're ultimately playing a hoax, when we begin that direction. So let's find out why. It's a fool's myth to think that we can stir someone up to the very edge and then say no. Fool's myth. Well, that's what, that's that's what lies. I, I feel in the question of how far is too far for some people. Well, how can how can I get all the stuff that I want out of this without crossing the line of sin? You know where I didn't actually do that thing that makes me feel really, really guilty because everybody else has made me feel not guilty for it. I feel okay. I feel justified in it. I'm not like that person. The important things we have to recognize is it is, it is a fool's myth to think that you actually can play with that fire and not get burned and not get to that place where you can just say, ah, no, no, stop, stop, stop. Everything is saying, yo, go, 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 go. And we've already talked about it. In some ways, you're not in your. I mean, in many, in all ways, you're not in your right mind when you get to that point. Um, but it's not being rational at all. It's not being rational in any way to play that game. And, and bonding is much more than this illusory experience of intimacy. What we think is, I'm bonding when I'm heavy petting. I'm bonding when I'm making out. 
I'm bonding when I'm fondling and all these different things. You're looking at me saying, what do you mean heavy petting? Is that, is that something you need to find? Heavy petting is the same thing as fondling. Do you understand fondling? Okay, all right. Um, heavy petting is when the person gets to the place where they're hugging you and the next thing you know their hands are moving in places they're not supposed to be moving. Okay, that's heavy petting. All right? Uh, uh, but we can call it fondling if you prefer. <laughs> okay, so anyways, uh, we're, we get to this place where we are thinking that I'm going to get closer because of this, right? That's why we did it. That's why we do it. Because we think this is somehow going to grow us deeper. We're experiencing something we've never experienced before together. So saying we've not done it does not keep us in a safe zone. Saying we've not done it, that's not enough. It's a false intimacy at its finest. The fact that I have gotten closer because of this physical intimacy and you know we, we keep it we rein it in at just the right times there's only so many times you're going to rein that thing in before you get you get burned and I, I mean like I said I've counseled people time and time again I know I know the where it, where it goes and how it works and you just it's so you defraud a person when you get to that place where you're saying okay well we're only just going to go this far and we're going to stop I promise you defraud them. Um, we're going to talk about the word defraud too. So uh, that, that, that jumped ahead a little bit. But uh, it's false intimacy. And, and you feel closer, but you're really not closer. That confuses the relationship, doesn't it? We're closer. You're not closer. Why is it that people can be together for three weeks and all of a sudden they feel like they're the closest people in the world? I'm going to tell you, it's one thing. It's called sex. It's one thing. It's called sexual intimacy. Uh, maybe not leading all the way to that place. But being physical with one another, there is a growth that goes in there that makes a person feel that way. It's, uh, it makes you feel a lot closer than you really are. Now, you might have just met that perfect person that you're just like, oh, it's been three weeks and I'm just head over heels for the love that person has for God and all that. Okay, cool. That's awesome if that's where you, if that's where you are. But I'm just saying that most cases, this is, where we, that's, this is why it's there. Um, <clears throat> We say sometimes, but but we're going to get married, you know. Uh, we're we're you know we're going to get to the place where uh, I don't see myself with anybody else. This is a word of manipulation a guy can use with a girl. Well, you know, it's just going to be me and you forever, baby. You know, so you shouldn't feel so bad. But the truth is, there's no guarantee until you put the ring on the finger. There is no guarantee, and we can see that more and more in this day and age. Hollywood shows us that sex deepens the relationship, but this romantic love is a false illusion. How do I know that? Well, let's just look at Hollywood. <laughs> let's look at Hollywood marriages. Okay? They practice what they preach on television, and it doesn't work too well <laughs> in their movies, and it doesn't work too well. This is, a, this is a statistic right here. According to recent studies, three to five years into the marriage, which is where a marriage begins to break down in most places where we begin to see divorces happening, the largest point of drafting divorce papers happens three to five years into a marriage. Guess what that, guess what that time is? That is when sex is no longer able to sustain the illusory relationship in the, uh, that is there because that's all, that's all it can do. 
Sex only will contain that illusion for three to five years into your relationship. And after that, it's gone. Not going to work anymore. So we can see that perhaps a lot of people are basing their relationships on sexual intercourse or on sexual intimacy. And they're being fooled. Scripture knows, this is letter C, Scripture knows no such thing as casual sex. It doesn't. Because we see, as we've looked over all of these last classes that we've had, that it is a real person with a real person. And real people desire the emotional connection, the psychological connection, the mental connection. It is a holistic connection, is it not? It's not just a casual deal. It can't be. And so six reasonable, helpful, personal questions is what we're going to talk about next as we look at this question again of how far is too far to get in deeper. One, is it an expression of selfless love? In other words, are we looking out for the spiritual, physical, and emotional well-being of all persons involved? I left you guys lots of blank space if you want to write some extra stuff in there. And uh, forgive me if I don't go slow enough for you to take all the notes you want to. <laughs> I tried to put the main ones in there. So, Eros, a type of love, is not a purely self-giving love. But it's a reciprocal love. It's a need-desire type of love. This is romantic love. That's what Eros is. It's romantic love, okay? It's... It's the idea that we see in the beginning when we see Adam and Eve that there is a reciprocation in their love. And so one of them says, wow, and the other one says, wow, and they both wow, okay, each other. And so the idea is that they reciprocated their love towards one another. It was a need and it was reciprocated. Not a need in the way that we say air is needed. Not a need in the way that we say... Um, that uh, uh, water is needed to sustain life, all of these things, okay? You guys are 20-something, 18, 19, whatever, you're around the 18 to 22, 3 range or somewhere in there. And so what you have to understand is you are this age and you have not been married and you have likely not had sex. And if you have, praise God for, re for renewal in that. But you know what? You weren't going to die if you didn't have it. And if you have it, you're not dead. So it's not that kind of need. So we need to take that away. Recognize that the time will come, but it is a need, desire, a reciprocating. And you don't want to reciprocate with a person that doesn't have that depth of reciprocation or that you have, creating that real bond. <clears throat> C.S. Lewis in The Four Loves describes this need, desire, love, if you want to read um, his book. You've not had sexual intimacy and you're alive and you're still healthy. So this is a good thing. In Eros, people are impacted mostly by this selfless giving love. And this is in opposition to the self-getting love that we uh, see in culture today. <clears throat> We're not islands unto ourselves. We don't exist on our own. It's not about me getting mine. We need to think about families when it comes to making decisions about sexual intimacy, we need to think about parents. We need to think about brothers and sisters. We need to think about the community of faith that we're a part of. We need to really think before we make these steps because what ends up happening is it becomes tunnel vision. We're just thinking about me. 
And that, you know, one little moment can create a lot of pain for the rest of your life. <clears throat> or maybe has. But thank God for healing as well. Again, you know, that's the thing that's awesome about the community of faith is that God does bring that. But it's not for us to take the step and then to seek the healing. It's for us to, in the midst of seeing, man, I really didn't make the right choice and letting God work in the midst of it. Number two, what are your actions saying to the other person? The actions that you're taking? There was a... It's a typical uh, scenario. A couple breaks up. A guy comes to, to be counseled and he, he kind of goes, I don't really know what happened. I don't know what went wrong here. You know? To which the response that I would give is, so, were you guys involved sexually in any way? And the person says, you know, I, I didn't do anything. It was just, I just gave her a dumb kiss. You know, the concept in our minds of the way that we see some physical things need to be taken out because a dumb kiss is, is a misnomer. A kiss to some means a lot. And so we need to think about what's dumb and what's not dumb <laughs> and what's really the level of what we can handle and we can't. Now others, of course, it's... Uh, it's, 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 it's the uh, idea of the sexual continuum. And the next thing you know, they're in, a, they're in a situation. They go, I don't know what happened. And it just threw the whole relationship out the window. And we lost sight of ourselves. And it didn't work. And that I've had as well. There's no such thing as a dumb kiss. If, if there's such thing as a sexual continuum, there isn't such thing as a dumb kiss. We need to understand the other person's as well as our own vulnerabilities. What makes someone vulnerable? It's very different for many people. But if we're rightly thinking about each other, we should find out what those are and for ourselves know what they are. We also need to know, ask ourselves the question, are actions harmonious with caring for the long-term well-being of the other person? Long-term well-being. That's where safety comes. Are we really considering a long-term thing here or is this just... Have a little moment. And the truth that we, the truth, the true question we should ask is: Are we prepared to back up our actions with commitment? That commitment word. Are we prepared to back up our actions with commitment? We need to learn about one another. We have to check a person out. I'm not saying that you don't have to get to know somebody, and you know, you spend some time getting to know them before you say, "Hey, can we, you know, court? Can we date? Whatever you want to call that, you know." Um, <clears throat> these kinds of things we have to get to know people but the problem is we jump in before we get to know a person you know we jump into relationships before we even get to know them it's the way culture speaks to us and sometimes we buy it it's not about physical intimacy you can spend a long time getting to know each other without any kind of physical intimacy. The physical intimacy is what confuses the communication. Period. It does. I have people that have gone through the pre-engagement class. That is people that are at that place where they were feeling that they were ready for the next step to get engaged, perhaps get married but we understand that when they take this class that 
There's no guarantee. This is to really get to know each other better. That's really what it's about, checking each other out in a deeper way. Um, and they thank me. Yes, they've been together for a year, maybe two, three, who knows. But they thank me at the end of that class if they end up breaking up. And I've had it happen. We've suggested people not to stay together at the end of that class. And they thank me. I think we need to get away from that fear of, well, I've been together with this person so long, and I, 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 thought, I thought I knew them is what these people get to. But they've been together a year. Well, why do they not know each other so well? They didn't ask the right questions. They didn't think deeper. Maybe they were more physical than they should have. A lot of times that's the case. But just know that it's important that we get to know people. There's never a place where you can say, I know this person. You know, someone can come to you and say, okay, uh, we've been together, you know, three months and I know everything about you now. You know, we know each other. We know each other well. And it's like, if you can know somebody at three months, everything about them, they're pretty shallow people. Either they're, they're pretty shallow people or they've got a lot to hide. Or you guys are just really physical and you're not thinking about each other at all in that way. That's the way that that goes and that's what that leads towards. So we need to learn about each other. We need to check each, we need to check each other out in the right way but not get to this place where we feel like I'm at this point and so now I'm ready for the next step. But recognize that we're always about building a relationship and getting to know each other, and the physical does not need to be a part of it. The physical only creates complications. I've been with Jamie for 11 years. I'm still learning. I'm still learning about her. And uh, some of the things I learn are good. Some of the things I learn, they're challenges. <laughs> they're growth opportunities. But that's because... We realize we're imperfect people and we realize there's a lot still to learn about each other. But we work through it. And that's important. I think sometimes it's funny that we get in this place where we go, I'm just looking for someone perfectly compatible to me. Why? Why are we looking for perfect compatibility? That's like having your own choir. Let's, you know, you know, you say preaching to the choir. You get, the, you get in there and you just got the you know, people that agree with you. I want someone that's going to challenge me. I want someone that's going to sharpen me and teach me. So, you know, we got these dating things and compatibility stuff. What, are we supposed to be exactly alike in order to date, for Pete's sake? You know, let there be adventure in it. Let there be some differences, but learn from each other. There are some fundamental things to think about when it comes down to the bottom line of, of commitment. So we were talking about what are your actions saying to one another we need to make sure that our actions are saying I'm really wanting to deepen this relationship in a way that is communication centered and not sexually oriented and when I say sexually I'm not just talking about intercourse itself I'm talking about any type of sexual act understand the vulnerabilities one of the vulnerabilities that are there is the way we talk to one another I said words but you don't talk about your sexual history with one another guys you don't do that because when you do that, you open the door for vulnerability. So you want to ask a question about that later and say, Nathan, explain to me deeper. We'll talk about that when we get into the questions. But you don't do that. It's unhealthy. Another thing that you don't need to do as well is to... Um, <clears throat> I'm trying to remember what it is. <laughs> is, is to recognize that a person... If you're a person that's been sexually exploited in your past, 
if you've been hurt sexually in, in your past, you're more vulnerable than other people. And you need to be aware of that as well. Sometimes sharing that only opens a door for more vulnerability. The important thing we have to recognize is that 1 Corinthians 13 says that love protects. And this is what we're supposed to be doing in true love in a relationship, is to protect each other. When we take things that are said and we exploit those things, whether they be out of empathy for the hurts of another, because when you begin to share about your hurts with another, it creates a deepening bond. That person hears about it. They say, oh, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. And there's a deeper connection, and it gets to a place where the next thing you know, that same thing that happened to you is happening with that same person that was empathizing with you. In fact, predators actually use that kind of thing. They come in as empathetic people, trying to care and act like they want to help you. In reality, they're actually finding your vulnerabilities so they can exploit them. I don't mean to say men are predators, but sometimes they are. (laughs) So, uh, C, the calling of any Christian is that his or her love would be pure. Alred Raveau says, That means that we never encourage, we never entice, and we never condone towards an end that is selfish in a sexual way. And that would that would go into every type of every part of life, but here for this particular topic we're going to talk about on the in the realm of sexuality. It never encourages, never entices never condones. If something is pure, it never encourages, it never entices, and it never condones. That's Howard Raveau. So number three, is it defrauding? And when I said defrauding, I meant deceiving. Okay? This is in Scripture. This is when someone is deceived into believing they're getting one thing, but in reality they're not getting the thing that they thought they were getting. You see what I mean? Defrauding is the stirring up by covert or overt action desires in the other person that cannot be righteously fulfilled. The stirring up by covert or overt action desires in the other person that cannot be righteously fulfilled. And things that would express that, fondling, sexual petting, this kind of stuff leaves you wanting more, but you know you can't. And that is stirring something up that cannot be righteously fulfilled. Uh, It's not a good thing. It is definitely deceiving. Scripture warns us about a modest dress. It warns us about other things because it's part of the continuum. You see, men are very physical in nature, visual in nature, and they, they, they see things and it stirs their continuum towards another direction. So immodest dress actually can help a man to, to begin to move towards that continuum. That's why it talks about that in particularly in the Bible is to protect a man. I am not saying I want to be the Gestapo about how a person dresses. This is about us thinking about one another. What am I doing that may possibly help someone to get aroused? On either side. You know what I'm saying? 
just glad that men don't wear short shorts anymore. That's like a 1980s thing. That's gross. <laughs> you know? uh, so there's some scripture here that's really powerful. And I think what we'll do is we'll go to that scripture next week, okay? I'm going to go into that scripture relating to defrauding, related to the deception and things that we learn, things that help us to see that. Um, I'll talk about that next week, starting with Mark 10:19 and 1 Thessalonians 4:3. Um, but for the time being, what we're going to do is we're going to get into some questions. So, questions? Yes, Parker. You talked about taking some time off and getting to know God better. How would you go about doing that? Be getting to know God better, Parker. Well, that is a great question, Parker. I bet everyone in this room would have some different things to share with you about that. I, I love the fact that we we are a community of faith, which means that we can encourage each other in that area, what God's shown us. Um, the important thing is that we're doing it, that we're taking the time, and that we're making the commitment. It, it's, in, it's in deciding not to fill your life with the thing that you're pursuing that causes you to take that place, that to put in that place God, and so your hunger for God is naturally going to grow if you decide to make the commitment. The problem is actually making it. If you make it and you and you you start there, I promise you, you'll begin to see growth in your life. God will begin to begin to just speak to you and show you some things. Um, if you're talking about practical things like Bible study and all kinds of things, I could go on and on and on about things that you could do. I think the important thing is with the community that we have, the person that you have one-on-one -on -one with. If you don't get, you know, have someone that you do meet with, someone you have that you're accountable to, someone that encourages you in the Lord, sit down with them and say, "Hey, man, how can you?" Help me to grow in my knowledge of God because I don't have a lot of knowledge of the uh, of the Lord. I might, maybe I was raised in church. Uh, maybe you're raised in church, but I just don't know a whole lot about the Bible. So how can I start there? Ask some questions of, uh, of them about that. But honestly, it's not about learning about love in the Bible when you're trying to take the place of, of dating. It's just about learning about God. You said, I just want to know God better. And so I'm just committing to that. So uh, definitely you're, you're, you're using the Bible is important and your Bible study and actually spending time with the Lord and letting Him speak to you. Prayer is going to be important in that as well. Taking time to actually pursue God as if you were pursuing a relationship with another girl would be a very valuable way of pursuing that because you're pursuing when you're pursuing a girl and you're a guy, you spend a lot of time doing it. <laughs> so you take that time you'd be spending with the girl and you pursue it with God, you spend it pursuing God, you'd be amazed at how much growth could come in your life. Too often we just get into a stagnant place and we just say, well, you know, I'm just going to keep going to the meetings and I'm going to keep doing this. But when we take a step to say, I'm going to actually pursue God, opening the word, being in prayer, being in a one-on-one -on -one type relationship with a guy, discipleship relationship, you know, this is a, a helpful way to start. Does that give you some direction? Okay, Parker. Awesome. You said uh, it's not like very like sexual past or anything. Like, yes, sir. Ever? Here's the thing. What good comes of sharing your sexual past with another person? Could you not simply just say, you know, I have had trouble in this area and I don't want to go into it. Just, just... Just trust me and, 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 and honor me in, in, in this fact and don't, don't do this, okay? All right? That already tells a person there's been a struggle there, but see, it's the detail. It's the detail of the struggle. 
well, it was this many, and it was this, and it was that, and it was all these, all these details, and this is what we did. And I'm serious. People think it's some kind of intimate sharing. And all it is is it actually is opening the opportunity for greater arousal and greater opportunities. Yes? When you say that, do you mean just romantic relationships or relationships in I mean that the, your struggles and your sins and your past are between you and God. They've been forgiven if you've given them to him. Why does anyone else have to know about them? Well, in, in one-on-ones, I don't understand why you'd need to if it's been taken care of, if it's been dealt with. I mean, you know what I'm trying to say is a one-on-one would not be a situation where you're saying, hey, tell me everything about yourself so we can get close. You know, all the deeper, darker parts so we can get even closer. I think it's really funny how we get this idea of I'm going to be intimate if I share the deep, deep things. We grow intimacy by spending time. We grow intimacy by talking. And the level does not have to be ridiculously deep. Now, if you're steeped in sexual sin and you need freedom, oh, please bring light to that because the Bible says that Christ shines light on the things that are done in darkness. And we need that freedom. But if it's something that's already been dealt with and something that's already been taken care of, if Jesus has forgiven it, why do we have to talk about it? Here's what you say. You know, I appreciate the fact that you see that our relationship is at a level where you can trust to share with me, but you know what? I don't trust myself. I don't trust myself to take this information and use it in a way that would be pure. And so to show purity in this relationship, I just want to say this. I'm going to treat you the way the Word of God tells me to treat you. And I think that should take care of the concerns that you have. Now, if there's a specific thing that I'm doing that you, you want to tell me to stop, please tell me because I don't need to be doing that. Usually what that is is something you shouldn't be doing anyways. But, you know, if, if there is some, you know, traumatic experience where even, you know, you put your arm around her and she freaks out because of something that it makes her remind her and she says, you know, and she doesn't say anything, that's a problem. She needs to speak up or he needs to speak up if it's a girl and says, Okay, look, this, this takes me back down a road I do not want to go down. Please don't do that again. See, it's communication. You're honoring one another. And if you truly show selfless respect, selfless love, you're not going to, re- you're not going to react and freak out and go, Well, I was just trying to blah, blah, blah. You see, it's that continuum thing. <laughs> it's that continuum thing, okay, that this could lead to something else. And perhaps in this person's mind, it really leads to some pain. You know, and I know what you're talking about with friends and, you know, yeah. deep hurts and wounds. And you just have to use wisdom. Sometimes we think that sharing deeply is somehow going to make us closer, but that's not the point. What makes us close is our, t- our, our, com- our time with the, the Lord together, our growing together in Christ and experiencing life together. That's what makes us grow, not deep, dark secrets. <clears throat> Now, when it comes to your wife, there's a whole other story involved in that. But, but you know, we'll, we'll, we'll uh, you know, because your wife has every, every reason to understand or your husband has every reason to understand why there's, because that can create a lot of problems in sexual intercourse when it comes to marriage, okay? But that's not this, this class. Okay, uh, any other question? Because I have the questions that you guys asked. 
that I can uh, pull up, which is what I plan to do until Chachi tells me to stop. Okay. All right. This is just an interesting question. I just go ahead and, and uh, uh, mention, you know, it's not really along the lines of uh, ultimately of the, this, this, this class, but I guess it does find its roots in Genesis. How is it possible that the entire population came from Adam and Eve? Um, and uh, the, I think the question behind that is uh, perhaps a doubt that someone has about the validity of Scripture perhaps or more along the lines of, you know, how can we logically explain this to people? And I think that the thing that we, we must understand is that in early days, it was not uncommon that intermarriage occurred. There's no question about it. We see it in the Scriptures. But you have to understand that what's happened is over generations and generations of intermarriage, there have become uh, problems, and God was aware of that kind of stuff well before that time, and there's a point in Scripture where he does not allow that to be the case anymore. And so in the beginnings, in the beginnings of, of, the, of the Bible, families married within families, cousins married cousins, that kind of stuff, um, uh, we, we have this. But what we have to understand is, is that that was, not a, that was not necessarily a bad thing. It wasn't an impure thing in their culture. It was the way they were. But God spoke to their culture and told them what they needed to do and what was incorrect and what was not. Polygamy, he said polygamy is bad, all these other kind of things. And so the way that, that it happened is in their culture, marriage what did happen within family. Mothers did not marry their sons or anything like that. But we do, we do have these complex things that do not happen today or are not condoned today. But Scripture does it. It does say... When that stops, so you know, did it? Does it say God said do it? No, it just we just know what happened, okay? And uh, uh, we know that God at a certain point said it's not happening anymore, uh, and we have everyone that we have today, you know. Uh, you know, there's a lot of study we can do in this. We go into ancestry and all this other kind of stuff and deal with Hamshim and Japheth and all this other thing, but uh, the truth is. How did we? We did. Uh, that's the way God set it up. Um, that's the way it happened. You have lots and lots of kids. Remember, they had lots and lots of kids back in that time. Lots and lots of people able to, you know, marry lots and lots of other people. Whereas today we have like, you know, four family, you know, uh, uh, units and things of that nature. Four person family units. That's not the way it was then. There were like lots and lots of sons and daughters and things of that nature at that time. So, that is uh, my response to that question at this point, a very, very complicated uh, question that actually, you know, you go into genealogical research and you'll see what I'm talking about. And you can just read right in Scripture and see that I'm not lying when I say there was marriage within family. You know, that, was, that did occur, had to. How do you start the world without that? <laughs> but God was aware when it was going to get to the place that that was going to be an issue. And he set rules and laws and said, no, this is not going to happen anymore. This is going to be unhealthy at this point. Uh, that's what's important for us to see. <clears throat> Any questions off of that question? <laughs> okay, this next question. Is it wrong to truly desire a marriage relationship one day? Well, no, it's not. Uh, Paul talks extensively about how it's better to not be married. So how then does someone make the decision to marry if they are trying to love and serve God with their whole heart. Does entering into a marriage relationship divide that affection? It's a lot of questions in there. 
Um, the heart of the matter is the name Paul. This man, Paul, his whole single infatuation, singleness infatuation, the Paul singleness infatuation. Uh, what can we learn from that? Uh, what is he saying? First of all, we have to understand, Paul uh, was not God. You know, Paul spoke for God when he wrote, but there were times when he spoke for himself. You can look in there and he says, I, not the Lord, say. Which is to say, this is good advice, godly advice, to think about, to consider, but not thus saith the Lord, you must do this. And sometimes people get confused and they think that something Paul said was a thus saith the Lord, when in reality it was one of his things saying, in this case, based on the letter you wrote me, here's what I'm thinking you should probably do. And one of those particular cases is Paul saying, it's true that your heart is divided when you have a wife. Your heart is. But it's not wrong. Why is your heart divided? Because you have committed yourself wholly to someone else in life. If you are single, you have not. Therefore, you could truly and wholly commit yourself to God. And if that's what you want to do, that's fine. But God's going to put the desire in your heart and you're going to actually want to fulfill that desire. Don't let the compulsion of thinking you're more holy by not being married, which is something that happened back in the day of the monastic times. We talked about that in the first day. Get you in a place where you feel that I, if, I, if I really want to truly live for God, then I can't be married. Because Paul definitely condones marriage. He definitely gives it. He definitely gives it his blessing, and God Himself gave it. Gave it the blessing in the very beginning. He said it was good. He blessed it. And so, no marriage is good. Yes, your your affections will be divided, but that's not bad because you are putting your affections towards raising up a child in the way that he should go, which is another part of Scripture. You're putting your affections towards having your wife presented unto God as a pure and spotless bride before Him, which is another part of Scripture. And so, you have a responsibility now, and it's going to be. This is a big part. In the other case, while you're single, that's not your focus. It's not your affection or husband. I keep thinking on the wife's side because I'm a man. But um, the recognition of, of respecting your husband and, 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 and treating your husband in a way that makes him feel like a million bucks because a lot of guys get treated like junk, you know? Man, that's a beautiful part to play in a man's life. So there, there's great roles that you play in marriage. And in singleness, there's great roles that you play too. There are two roles. You pick which role it is that the Lord's leading you to go in, and both of them are great. Both of them are wonderful. And I think it's the funniest thing that Paul says, you know, it's the thing you can laugh at before you do a, do a wedding, is you can say, you know, and Paul says it's better to, better to marry than to burn. So we didn't want to burn in hell. <laughs> so we got married. But of course what he meant was burn with passion, one towards another in a way that you cannot fulfill that righteously. So, that's uh, that's that question. So it's a good thing. It's a good thing to be single. Okay. Awesome. Well, that's it. Thank you.